Let's get down to business. COVID-19. Well, we're in a pretty serious lockdown at the moment. Piers Cunningham, how are you enduring things, Piers? Welcome once again to Peninsula Talks. Yeah, morning, Brendan. Yeah, I and you and others in Greater Melbourne, including the Mornington Peninsula, uh, have endured almost seven months of hard stage four lockdown now since the pandemic began early last year. And how are we tracking? Is it worth it, Piers? Is all the pain and suffering worth well, it? Have we got I this think thing? It's very uh, becoming uh, more and more of a, a, a controversial question because there is such you know such bad side effects of lockdown, whether it's economic, spiritual, social, education for kids. Uh, there's a whole spectrum of, of uh, side effects of this kind of lockdown, really unprecedented. No one's ever lived through this before, so it's kind of a social experiment that that has unknown consequences, apart from the ones that are obvious now, but the longer-term ones even a bit harder to predict, but I don't think the, the consequences are going to be good. But, uh, yeah, 24 new cases in Victoria, 20 linked to known outbreaks, 18 isolated for their entire infectious period. However, in New South Wales, disturbingly, 633 new cases, 62 at least of that number active in the community while infectious. Incredible. Big numbers indeed across there. Of course, uh, Jacinda Ardern has locked down Auckland as well. Those that uh, did manage to get across to the Cook Islands, and I have some very dear family members over there at the moment, they just squeaked it in before Ms Ardern shut down Auckland. She's absolutely terrified that uh, Delta is going to get into New Zealand, which has travelled pretty well up until now. Yeah, it's only it's only uh, the Auckland area that I think that's been locked down at the moment. But uh, obviously, that they take it very seriously. They've got a good track record of uh, keeping on top of it. Uh, but Delta does pose different uh, issues. It's far more infectious than earlier varieties, as we know. But coming back to you know what the reaction is to this continued lockdown, you know, approaching seven months. I was actually talking to Mr Jeff Wells. He's a urologist at Box Hill Hospital and he was involved with the COVID Doctors Network last year, which wrote that open letter to the Premier pleading against that extended lockdown we had for uh, over 100 days a year ago in, in Greater Melbourne. Uh, he's now um, branched out into his own area, which is uh, uh, Doctors Against Lockdown. And uh, he, I spoke to him this morning, and uh, we'll be interviewing him later on today. And uh, that'll be uh, that'll be available next week as an interview, which we'll broadcast next Tuesday. But he did go through some things about this, and he said that uh, you know this is really a a very big overreaction to have this curfew, for example, from from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Very draconian in in Jeff Wells' view. He did point to the fact that most people under the age of 60 years have not that much of an issue with the virus. And if you look at uh, Australian government figures, which are available from the Department of Health, look at them about COVID-19 deaths by age group and sex. By far, the the, uh, the bulk of deaths that have happened, very sadly, from uh, the pandemic have happened in the 80-plus age group. So... 195 males have died in Australia uh, from 80 in the 80 to 9, 80 to 89 age group, and uh, females a similar number 204 females aged 80 to 89, and then um, 90 plus year olds 121 men and 207 women. So out of the total number of deaths that Australia's recorded through all states, 
the vast majority of them are in the elderly who often have comorbidities. In other words, other heart conditions, other things that are you know quite common in people when they get to advanced age. So I'm not saying that these deaths are, are in any way trivial, but it just highlights that you know if you're trying to protect people, well, it's people who are kind of vulnerable to dying anyway that are actually the ones who've died in Australia from the pandemic. The other interesting stat to add to all that as well, Piers, is if you have a look at the deaths from the annual flu this year are well down as well, and that a number of these very unfortunate and tragic deaths, of course, might have been attributable to flu under normal circumstances. Have I got that right? right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we we haven't had the the normal winter flus, and they've been offering the jab, but uh, it's been less important because we haven't had the international travellers who would normally be bringing it from overseas. And so that flu shot is calibrated on, on what's been going on in the Northern Hemisphere during their winter. We haven't needed to do that because there just hasn't been the, the travel. You know, we've, we've shut down the country. So they're just, you know, I, I can't think of the last time I had the flu. It was a long time ago. It was, I think it might have been in February, just before the pandemic hit, that I remember having a reasonably nasty flu. Well, all those years ago, Piers, you remember that when we were COVID-free way back in, what was it, late 2019? Who would have thought? A couple of interesting things that I've been picking up on the news cycle over the last 24 hours or so, Piers. The uh, British Scientific Advisory Group, SAGE, has been looking at and trying to prepare contingencies for the the, um, British government, the English government, number 10, if things get out of hand and we see something like a Delta Plus variant? Yeah, well, that's where the pharmacy companies are going to uh, hopefully have some uh, some updates on their vaccines. Uh, Pfizer is already releasing updates to the to its vaccine that are being evaluated by authorities before being released in the United States. So that's underway. And I guess in the case of, of the UK, they would be looking closely at that process and, and also doing a similar thing with AstraZeneca. And, and it goes back to what we said about the seasonal flu, that, that COVID is not going to go away. This is, what this, this is what Jeff Wells and this is what doctors everywhere are saying, that we are going to be living with COVID for the foreseeable future. Talking, we're talking decades, uh, at least, in one form or another. And very likely it will, it will become something that we, we just have to adjust to. And we include... COVID in the annual flu shot that we have, and that'll be an update to the vaccines that we've had so far. So, you know, whether it's Moderna, whether it's the Pfizer or the AstraZeneca, which is the one being made in Melbourne. Due to mixed messaging, you know, there's been some hesitancy about about having AstraZeneca, but now the advice is definitely you should have it. There's a lot of problems associated with people having the wrong idea about what to expect from this. There's been mixed messaging. There's been sort of emphasis in the media on the sort of negative side of of vaccines and the the risk associated with them. But there's no such thing as a perfect vaccine. And what is clear is that people who are vaccinated with any of the mainstream jabs that have been offered in Australia have got a much better chance of not getting seriously ill with COVID if they do happen to get it. That is that is guaranteed to be the case, and it's certainly the case that's been shown in the UK where they've got quite a large daily spread of the virus, but um, it, not, not the death toll and, and the hospitalisation rate that they were having before they got their, their population 
uh, to the, the level it is with yeah. vaccination. And indeed, I heard one of the researchers actually on the Beeb a few hours ago talking about exactly this and also suggesting that the government has really got to give up the notion of the third shot for us in the more developed West. He was advocating that this excess capacity of vaccine and, and theorem and stuff, or serum, should be got into the developing world as quickly as possible. We give up that third uh, booster jab in order that we can get the world vaccinated because he's terrified that if we don't, there is the possibility. Uh, well, of course, you know we're doing two things. We're reducing uh, possible deaths in the developing world, but also preventing against the possibility of some sort of mutation coming out of there and coming back to, to bite us all eventually. That's right, and that's one of the fears about Indonesia. Uh, northern neighbours have got a, a big outbreak going on there, relative, you know, pretty much unchecked because it's got to that point. It's growing exponentially, and that is believed by experts to be the sort of ideal... Uh, fertile ground for the virus to mutate further and the potential for a super strain to emerge, which actually means that the vaccines that we've had, uh, the Pfizer and AstraZeneca in the main, uh, could be rendered obsolete. So there's a, there's, a, there's a reason for everyone to get the world vaccinated and to, uh, to use any excess capacity that we have to share it around according to need. Let's hope that, that is uh, absorbed by governments because it's, uh, it's, it's not only the right thing to do on a humanitarian level, but it's also got a lot to do with self-preservation and making the shots that we've had useful. Indeed, it was also interesting to pick up on that interview as well because AstraZeneca is suggesting that they're trying to roll out now a vaccine for the bubonic plague. You remember, of course, Piers, that the Black Death ravaged Europe with a fatality of 50% way back in, what was it, the 16th century. But I think even earlier. Yeah, yeah, well, AstraZeneca trying to come up with a, uh, a vaccine because bubonic plague has been presenting itself in places like Madagascar in recent years. It has not gone away. It can be treated with antibiotics, but the argument is that uh, if you can't get to the antibiotics soon enough, it can get you in some instances better to vaccinate everybody. Plus, the rider, which I thought was very, very interesting, was it gives us a chance to start specialising and looking at our research capacity to adapt to other viruses as they present. So I would say that AstraZeneca anticipating maybe some mutations coming very, very soon. Isn't it interesting? So we're now really having to look very closely at, at disease and, and uh, whether it's whether it's viral or whether it's uh, bacteria-based, uh, we are having to take this much more seriously. And, I mean, even polio, which was believed to have been completely controlled, there are, I believe, uh, little variants of that uh, that have, have worked out ways to deal with the vaccination shots that people have been given, and there are small, out, small pockets emerging around the world. And so that's another area which... Uh, pharmaceutical companies are needing to focus on as well to update the polio vaccine. So here's another thought for you then. So perhaps although we're going through this rigour of lockdown, is this some sort of a dress rehearsal for the big one if it really does hit at some stage in the next uh, decade or so? Well, maybe. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a question that really no one knows the answer to. No one knows, you know, how long. And I asked, that, I asked Jeff Wells, uh, this morning, this question is, you know, how long is the AstraZeneca or the, or the Pfizer vaccine going to last for? You know, if, the, if, you, if, you, if you've had the double dose, which I have and um, family members have, have now had, what's the duration of the protection? Well, the, the answer is I don't think they know that. When do you need to update it? Well, that depends, I guess, on the virus to some extent. And, and they're waiting on the data. But certainly for now, it, it is beneficial because it's going to save you from going to hospital. It's going to save... 
uh, the possibility of you developing a long COVID. And, uh, and it's going to keep those statistics for Australia, really, with the, uh, the vast bulk of deaths that have occurred in Australia uh, among the elderly. While that's uh, certainly a sad thing, it's very different from people who are under the age of 70, uh, the bulk of whom uh, make a full recovery if they happen to get the virus. So it is about living with the virus and having lockdowns that just go on for months and months on end and cause the economic damage. I mean, I heard even even police that said they won't enforce, they don't like enforcing playground closures, uh, which was part of the tightening up for the next couple of weeks of lockdown. They introduced it a, a few days ago uh, when they announced the extension and brought in the uh, curfew. The police are, uh, are um, saying that this is not why they signed up to be police and, uh, you know, kicking kids out and threatening to find their parents who are using uh, playgrounds is just not... not what they want to be doing. Yeah, the ramifications are absolutely huge. And indeed, over the next uh, couple of hours here on Peninsula Talks, um, Piers, we're going to be having a, a look at uh, the way COVID-19 has impacted our university way and means of studying as well. Going to be also having a look at the mass exodus out of big cities, the way that we're basically going to where and how we're going to live going forward. But the good news you probably want to know, Piers, is that um, Mark McCrindle from um, McCrindle Research, he's a social researcher, reckons that despite all the uh, fear and loathing stories, we're being very kind to one another and he's got the research to prove it. So we're going to end on that on a sort of a, a brighter note today when Peninsula Talks wraps up in that last hour between one and two. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. And I think that, 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 you know, the best thing that people can do is to uh, is to look out for, you know, your family members, your, your neighbours. Uh, you know, if you know people who are single or, or unmarried, I think that, you know, there's a difference if you've got a family at home to kind of hang out with in lockdown as opposed to going back and sort of looking at the walls then, uh, you know, that is a difference. And I think those people should be reached out to and uh, the hand of friendship extended where possible. Indeed. Piers Cunningham, thank you so much indeed for your very insightful report today. Look forward to the same time next week on Peninsula Talks. Our COVID-19 reporter, Piers Cunningham, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Brendan. Adios. Piers Cunningham on the line brings up the speed on all things COVID-19. This is our double